Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, broadcasting remotely. Just a couple months ago, Connecticut State Colleges and Universities President Mark Ojakian announced that the four state universities will reopen their campuses for the fall semester. That means students will be welcomed back August 24th. Are you one of them or do you teach at a state university? Are you ready to go back to campus? We want to hear from you today. 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live as we focus on the state higher ed system to hear how students, faculty, and staff are preparing for the reopening. Coming up, we'll talk to an administrator at one of the 12 community colleges, which are still slated to be consolidated. And this fall, first-time students will be able to go to a Connecticut community college for free. How will that work in a pandemic when state funds are already stretched? We'll hear from Dr. G. Duncan Harris, Chief Executive Officer of Capital Community College in Hartford. Again, that's coming up. Now, we did ask President Mark Ojakian to join today's show, but we were told he was not available. We wanted to start by hearing from some students. So joining us now on Zoom is Esma Rahimyar, who's an incoming senior at Southern Connecticut State University. Esma, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Also with us is Alex Rooney. He's an incoming junior at Eastern Connecticut State University. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be on. I'll start with Esma. I understand that you were a commuter student at Southern Connecticut. And so when you hear that the university will be reopening for the fall semester, what does that mean for you as a commuter student? Yeah. Um, so of the many, I think, um, pros and cons of, of being online last semester, I think the most salient advantage for me as somebody who lives about half an hour away from campus was the fact that I saved over an hour every single day. Um, so that aspect of it is appealing. But on the other hand, I think that moving to all um, virtual classes um, exacerbates certain inequities that we know exist, but I think um, aren't spotlighted until this situation arose. And what I mean by that more specifically is Southern next semester um, is offering a combination of synchronous courses. So courses in which you'll be sitting behind a computer screen um, for an allotted time once or twice a week, every week, um, and on-ground courses as well as asynchronous courses. And I think the difficulty of having synchronous courses and on-ground courses and coordinating that within your commuting schedule um, is difficult even for those of us who have our own cars or who have our own means of getting to campus. So I worry about the students who don't have um, those options and, mm. and how they'll make that work. Is Southern making space available for commuter students so that they aren't having to travel back and forth? Yeah, they are. Um, and Southern has been um, on top of letting us know about those resources on campus. And as you mentioned, we have specific spots designated um, for students who either are in a situation similar to myself or who don't have 
a home environment that's conducive to learning. Um, I also worry about our students who live um, further away from campus than I do and who say have one or two on-ground courses and don't want to pay for room and board but have to make that commute. Um, we'll have to see how those logistics play out. Mm. Alex, I understand you live on campus at Eastern, so tell me what your response is to reopening plans. What have you heard from your university? Well, uh, first of all, I'm happy that we are reopening. I think it'll be great to get back on campus and get back on the on-ground courses, which is what I prefer. But Eastern is also uh, offering the asynchronous and the synchronous courses with the uh, online options. But um, it definitely isn't going to be exactly the same as the other semesters of living on campus. They are rolling out a lot more rules just to try to keep everybody safe. So um, it just means that we'll probably be having less people in the dorm rooms. You won't be able to have as many friends over unless they like live in the building uh obviously everyone's going to be wearing masks everywhere there might be uh, a reduction on on-campus activities so going back it's a it's a bittersweet because we'll be able to kind of start getting things back to normal but we're still definitely going to have to make sure we're taking all the precautions to keep everybody safe mm. so alex, alex do you prefer when the when the campus closed down uh, in march or what did you prefer the online at that time or do you prefer being on campus having in-person classes uh i'm definitely preferring of the on-campus in-person classes but i do understand the need to transition to online so um, I'm happy that the school is able to try to adapt, and they, I think they did it pretty well, all things considered. So, um, And I'm also glad that they're going to be offering the online classes for the students that may feel uncomfortable coming in, because I don't think anyone's education should be put on a hold just because uh, the virus is ripping through. So, mm. um, Well, at first, I wasn't supporting the online classes. I definitely see the value now that mm. I've taken a few. Mm. You mentioned that there'll be lots of rules to follow. Do you think that the majority of students will follow those rules, especially if they're living on campus? Then, you know, social distancing can be uh, difficult, I would imagine, in a dorm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think everyone's kind of got these things down pat already. We've all been living with it. It's not like it's new and we're only rolling these rules out at the campus. Everyone in public has been participating in these. And I think that it'll be more of a smooth transition than it seems just because we've already been living with it for so long. Um, so I don't, I don't imagine anyone's going to have difficulty doing it, especially when, even if it's not for themselves, but out of respect for others and trying to keep everybody safe. So I think that um, it'll run over pretty smoothly. Mm. So you're optimistic. Uh, when I think about uh, my days in college years ago, I also lived on campus. It's more than just uh, going to in-person classes. There is that social aspect. There is being uh, the involvement in extracurricular activities. I'm just wondering, you know, what are you hearing at Eastern in terms of how those activities will be curbed? Well, if it's anything to go off last semester, a lot of the activities we tried to still have them, but they were with reduced in t attendance. So we would just limit the amount of um, students that were allowed to be at the activity at a single time. So I think we might do something similar to that. Or we'll, now that we have the foresight, we can specially design activities so that they can be safe for people to enjoy. So I think that, um, again, just now that we've approved some more experience, people will be able to deal with things and now that they're better equipped with it. So I think that instead of um, trying to change things to fit the new standard, we'll make things to the new standard so that things can be enjoyed in that new normal kind of way. So 
in yeah, terms yeah. of like those big activities, I think the school mm-hmm. will be handling that well. And then in terms of the more smaller like student interactions, I think that the students will be responsible enough to have those at a safe distance and respect each other's, um, you know, social distancing six mm-hmm. feet. You're hearing Alex Rooney. He's an incoming junior at Eastern Connecticut State University. Also with us on Zoom is Esma Rahimyar, a senior at Southern Connecticut State University, as we talk about reopening plans. Uh, Esma and Alex, uh, right now, uh, the infection rate and hospitalizations have declined significantly in our state. But in the pandemic, things can change quickly. We've seen that happen in other states as they reopen more and more. So I I guess I'll start with you, Esma. How are you preparing for the, the possibility? that even though campus may be reopening now, things could change fairly quickly. And and how will you adapt to, again, if it has to be all virtual for the fall? Um, I think that there's multiple different facets to just how volatile this situation is. Um, On the one hand, we don't know how this virus will develop um, as we move along, um, let alone throughout the course of the semester. And to touch upon a discussion um, that you guys just had with regards to student behavior, I think that our focus has been on physical precautions and what our campuses can do with regards to distancing and with regards to protocols such as wearing masks and um, tracing the virus and testing and whatnot. But I don't think the focus has been on just the neurological context of what college students are like. or what individuals from the ages of 18 to 22 are like neurologically, and the fact that we are more prone to um, act upon impulse or take risks, um, myself certainly included within that bracket. And so I think um, the risk for young people is not only, um, the risk of young people transmitting the virus is not only heightened by that neurological context, but also by the way that we've been talking about this virus in terms of how um, it's less deadly for young people and we're not highlighting how asymptomatic people can be and and how they can transmit the virus and how, for instance, if you do get the virus and and you don't go through a particularly difficult bout of it right now, it can have long-term effects years down the line. So I think there's compounding factors um, in addition to the difficulty of just figuring out how this virus will develop um, that make me concerned as somebody who will be going back and forth from campus next semester. But on the other hand, I'm certainly eager to be back in a classroom. Um, I'm a student of philosophy and and our discussions are not um, particularly conducive to an online format, even if it's synchronous. Um, Mm. But I do have those concerns and I think they'll be more salient as we continue to progress. Alex, uh, what's your take if uh, things change, if uh, infection rate uh, spikes and reopening may not happen in another month? Well, I'm hoping it does happen. But uh, in the case that it doesn't, I think I'm prepared to do the classes online. I did well last semester and a lot of my courses transmit to online courses pretty well. So I'm an accounting student and most of the work is done online anyways. So I think that... um, I wish I shouldn't have too much of a difficulty, but I do fear for other students too, because I know that there was some just difficulties, everybody keeping on track. It's kind of a, it's just a different thing that most people signed up for when you go to school and you expect to have the on, the in-person classes and then everything gets transitioned to online. It's kind of a shock at first. So hopefully now that the students have had that opportunity and they've done it once before, they'll be able to do it again. So they don't have to put a break on their uh, education.
Asma, before we head to break, I understand you're also a tutor on campus, and I'm just wondering what you've been hearing from fellow students, uh, students who may uh, work other jobs, or they may have children, and they're trying to balance, again, uh, their college education. Yeah, um, and as you can imagine, there's been a range of experiences within the tutoring center. Um, Most of the students that I work with on a regular basis still come to see me, um, but we've already established that connection and we've already identified um, the areas in which they can improve. Um, But the students who I used to see on a semi-regular basis or the students who even dropped in once, um, I don't see students like that anymore. just because the virtual format is inevitably less accessible. And we definitely worry about those students. I've tutored a mother of two young children. And during our appointments, I would hear um, her son and her daughter playing in the background. And in some respects, that's been convenient for her. Um, And in other respects, it's been difficult. And for my students who work three jobs, in addition to being students, um, figuring out the logistics of this is very stressful. And so I do worry, um, on the other hand, that if we remain virtual, will these inequities continue to be exacerbated. Mm-hmm. And Alex, I'll, I'll end with you. We know that a college education is not cheap. Uh, again, if uh, there needs to be a switch where uh, the online learning has to happen sooner rather than later, and it may be for a majority of your junior year, do you feel like you're getting the education you're paying for? Well, I feel like that when you go to a university, you're paying for a lot more than the education. You're paying for the opportunities that it provides so it'd be a shame to pay the full price when you can't go to the campus you can't experience the activities you can't make use of a lot of the offices but i think that they're transitioning that to online too you can be able to call in so you can go to the career center and you can they can help you network and help you get internships and stuff too so i think that um the network that i've built up at the university is valuable enough for me to stay even if it is just online courses there because I'll be able to use those offices from a distance and then I'll probably be able to uh, get some of those opportunities, if not all of them, through the uh, online motive. Well, I want to thank Alex Rooney for joining us. He's an incoming junior at Eastern Connecticut State University. Alex, good luck uh, with the coming semester. Thank you. Also with us was Esma Rahimiar, an incoming senior at Southern Connecticut State University. Esma, thank you for joining the show today. Thank you so much. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, we hear from the president of one of Connecticut State University, Dr. Zalma Tora, who leads Central Connecticut State University. And we want to hear from you, too. Are you a student or staff member at Central? Do you want to head back to campus next month? You can join us 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Are you a student at one of Connecticut's four state universities, or do you teach at one of the campuses? Today we talk about reopening plans, and we want to hear from you. Do you want to go back to campus, or do you prefer online learning continue? You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. Joining our conversation now on Zoom is the president of Central Connecticut State University, Dr. Zoma Toro. Uh, Dr. Toro, welcome to our show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. 
So we're talking about the fall semester. I'm wondering if you could tell us you know, how many students do you expect to come back this fall and how many will reside in your dorms? As of uh, today, we have close to 1,800 students who has uh, made the deposit to live on campus. Uh, because of, of the situation, we are uh, limiting the capacity of our uh, resident halls. So we will not have more than 75% of its capacity. Mm. Therefore, uh, we are expecting the most uh, a number of students will be uh, a little bit less than 2,000 this semester. And uh, in terms of enrollment, uh, we are uh, expecting, including undergraduate and graduate students, to be a little bit over 10,000. And how does that compare to last year? Do you have students who are thinking, you know, maybe I, I should sit out this next semester because they may not want to deal with a hybrid uh, program or they don't know what to expect with this pandemic? Continuing, Dr. Toro? We are expecting uh, a decline, definitely, uh, in comparison to the last fall, fall uh, 2019. We're expecting a decline anywhere between uh, 7% and 10%. Did you have to turn away any students who wanted to live on campus this fall, you know, as reopening plans were being considered? Not up to this point, mm. uh, but Central, as I think uh, our sister institutions uh, uh, experience the same thing, we get uh, requests for students to live on campus until the last minute. So we are uh, at this point, okay, but we don't know if we will have to turn uh, some students away. We are hoping we will not need to do that. Mm. Dr. Toro, let's focus on the students who will reside in your dorms. You said uh, that they'll be limited the capacity uh, because of this pandemic and the importance of uh, social or physical distancing. But I wanted you to talk through, uh, there's so many plans that you've had to put in place. And so much of what we've heard in, in our state over the last several months is the importance of testing individuals. So how often will students who live on campus be tested? And what about staff? Okay, um, students before they arrive to campus should uh, have a test. And if they arrive to campus and they don't have a test, they will be tested. And during the, um, the semester, there will be random te testing and those will be uh, selected, as uh, I mentioned, randomly. And the percentage of students that will be uh, tested will fluctuate between five and 10% mm -hmm. every so often. Uh, the the uh, resident hall directors will be tested also at the beginning when they arrive to campus uh, at the beginning of the semester and they will be part of that random testing uh, process. And what about the element of your students who commute to uh, Central and, and also including staff? How will that work in terms of, of testing those individuals or the kinds of uh, precautions that they'll have to take coming to campus each day? Okay. Uh, up to this point, the plan doesn't include testing of those individuals. Mm -hmm. However, the plan have uh, a number of components that I think are, are important to mention. The first one is the personal 
uh, protective equipment. Mm -hmm. Everyone will be required to wear a mask. Um, we have been uh, working at uh, installing uh, physical barriers that will allow faculty who are going to be teaching uh, through high flex, that means that they will be in a classroom, th that those physical barriers will allow the, the faculty member to be protected as well. In addition to that, we have redesigned the, the classes and, and the, the classrooms to maintain physical uh, distancing and the six uh, feet requirement will be uh, observed. We have signs with instructions everywhere. We are managing the traffic uh, flow within the institution and within buildings. That means that if you enter one way, then you exit a different way. And that is uh, to minimize the possibility of, of contact or, or uh, having people closer to you. The cleaning regimen has been change completely. So uh, every classroom will be clean after every class. So we have changed the schedule of classes to allow that to happen. And finally, we are using technology uh, to deal with, with uh, the situation as, and as one of the measures that we're uh, implementing for safe and healthy mm -hmm. uh, and health purposes. You're hearing President Zulma Toro. She leads Central Connecticut State University as we focus on the Connecticut higher education system, specifically the four state universities and coming up later, the 12 community colleges. You can join our conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Dr. Toro, uh, before uh, I ask you about what you're hearing from uh, students and staff, I wanted to just ask in terms of testing and, and contact tracing, what capacity does Central have uh, to get the, the adequate number of tests? And what about contact tracing? Because that's also very important in a pandemic. In terms of testing, we are collaborating with the system office and the system office is collaborating with the state. We will have uh, a, a vendor. I am not at liberty to uh, disclose who the vendor is yet, but we will have a vendor that will uh, be supporting us with with the testing. Oh, that's interesting. So when you say a vendor that you can't mention uh, today, is this something that a vendor that's also collaborating with the other four state universities as well? The other yes, three state universities? The system and the state. We, we are going to join the state uh, efforts in terms of, of uh, testing. Again, you can join our conversation, 888-720-9677. Dr. Toro, what are you hearing from students and staff? Are they ready to come back? What are their concerns? What are they looking forward to? Well, in terms of, of students, uh, for the most part, uh, our information is that students really want uh, to go back. As in every situation like this, there are some uh, students who has personal circumstances that and under those circumstances they will prefer to be fully online and we may be able to accommodate and we will do our best to accommodate those cases in terms of, of faculty and staff um, you should know that on july the 15th we will uh, implement what we have called 
a soft opening. That means we will bring less than 50% of the personnel that serve the support services areas. And we will use that uh, as a way to start uh, the process to get ready for the students uh, to come back. So we are learning uh, as we speak about the uh, situation and the, the wishes of every individual who uh, is part of the uh, administrative um, faculty and staff. And as we speak, we are also learning about the uh, desires of, of faculty. But let me say that there is a group of faculty that believe that the only way they can be effective in educating the students is if they have the opportunity to be on ground. And there are some disciplines that uh, definitely call for more on ground uh, classes like the sciences, mm -hmm. engineering, the art, the arts, music and theater to mention some and even nursing. So we have a little bit of everything. Faculty mm -hmm. members who are eager to go back because of their disciplines or because they believe that they will be more effective on ground. And there are faculty members who like to continue to teach online. We'll be hearing from a member of the teaching staff uh, coming up in a couple of minutes. But I did want to ask you, Dr. Toro, you mentioned the soft reopening starting next week. We got a question from an employee who asked mm -hmm. uh, why the push to bring employees back to campus starting next week. Uh, the employee writes, other universities such as UConn have told employees that if they can do their work from home, they should continue to do so. And they go on to say that staff within the Connecticut State College and University system have shown they're more than capable of meeting student needs virtually. Why the push to send them back next week, Dr. Toro? There are some uh, services that definitely uh, will be more effective if we offer them face-to-face -face in a very controlled way. And that's what we're uh, trying to do here. It's the soft opening. It's for us, if you will, a pilot to determine what we can do on ground and what can stay uh, online, fully online, to serve our students. At the end of the day, there are three guiding principles for us. One, the health and safety of every individual, the students we serve, the faculty, and the staff. The second guiding principle is student success. After all, we are an institution with the mission of educating our students and our citizens. And there, as it was well described by Alex and Asma, there are some challenges when you are trying to educate the student population, we educate only online. Mm. And we want to provide those students the best educational opportunity we can uh, offer. Mm. And, uh, as part of uh, the, the college experience, that's the third uh, guiding principle, we want the students to have a round educational experience. And some of them, if they miss a semester, that is a big deal mm -hmm. for them because of 
their personal circumstances. Well, Dr. Tor, I wanted to bring in a perspective of someone who teaches on campus. Joining us now on Zoom is Professor Christopher Dussault, who teaches Professor of Sociology and Peace Studies, both at Central Connecticut State University and the University of Hartford. Uh, Christopher, welcome to our show. Good morning. So I wanted you to respond to uh, what Dr. Toro has talked about in terms of reopening, in terms of uh, the importance of safety, but also providing education uh, to students. As a professor, um, how are you feeling about the campus reopening? Well, my preference is to not go back to campus, frankly, until there's a vaccine. Um, Public safety, uh, public health should be number one at this point, in, in my opinion. I would not want to get sick and uh, and then get my wife and my family sick as well. And I'm, I'm just not confident uh, that we'll be able to hold class uh, uh, in person safely, uh, particularly if uh, the dormitory is going to be 75% full. I imagine the virus will travel through those dormitories and uh, uh, perhaps spread uh, uh, through the school. You, uh, we heard Dr. Toro mention that as far as teaching in class, they'll try to erect physical barriers. A face mask will be uh, required. Uh, those um, those options that you still feel unsafe going back to campus, Christopher. Well, those options will certainly mitigate uh, uh, the spread, but the experience on campus is going to be more than the time within the classroom. Mm -hmm. There's going to be the times passing in crowded hallways. There's going to be the time when you need to use the the restroom. Uh, There's going to be uh, 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 times in the office suites meeting with students and congregating people in that enclosed space. uh, I just, I just don't think it, uh, is the best option right now. In an ideal situation, sure, we would have all of our classes in person. I don't think online uh, teaching is a a substitute for meeting and teaching in person. Um, But I'm hoping that if I have the choice, I'll be able to teach my classes online this semester. Dr. Tora, I'm, ho- I'm wondering if you could respond to what Professor Christopher Dussault has said. Uh, you know, if faculty, uh, other staff are not comfortable coming back to campus, will the university be flexible and allow them to continue working either remotely or doing the virtual classes? Okay, let me uh, also explain that none of the uh, classes that we are going to uh, to offer for the most part will be above 15 students in the classroom because we are using uh, for those classes that will have an on-ground component, we are using what we call HyFlex. The HyFlex modality will allow us to have students in the classroom broadcast the class uh, at the same time, the, the faculty member is teaching the students in the classroom. So students can join the class synchronously. But at the same time, we will record the, the classroom in such a way that uh, students can uh, be part of the class at a later time. Okay? So we are controlling the number of students in the classroom as well. I understand that all of us, including myself, have some concerns about getting sick and, and being part of the uh, 
uh, of again uh, being infected. I, I can guarantee that we are doing our best, that we are putting in place uh, measures that have never been there. That I we we are diligently working towards minimizing the possibility of infections. Uh, And let me then talk about the ability of a faculty member deciding or not deciding what modality will be used. As we speak, the Vice President for Academic Affairs is working with the deans after receiving recommendations from a work group as to what courses should be offered through high flex modality because that is the most effective way to offer those. I cannot tell you exactly what courses will be offered one way or the other, but I can tell you that no more than 40% of our, our offerings will be high flex because we don't have the capacity. So that means that most of our courses will be offered online. Mm. Professor Christopher Dusso, uh, how does that make you feel in terms of that they're still trying to figure out uh, what classes uh, will be offered uh, in person versus the virtual? Do you feel like you will have an option uh, come another month? Well, I don't know if my classes will be among the 40% that will be high flex. And if that puts me in a position where Uh, I will have to teach in person when I would prefer not to. Um, I have confidence that Dr. Toro and uh, and all of the administration are are doing their best to uh, mitigate the spread of the disease. But unless there's a vaccine, I I just I don't have confidence that uh, these measures uh, will be sufficient. You can join our conversation, 888-720-9677. We wanted to hear uh, from people whether they attend a state university or community college or teach at one of the campuses. Scott's calling from Newtown. Scott, I understand that you studied at Western, and uh, what's your plan for the fall? Uh, Currently, my plan for the fall is just to uh, stay employed while I can, if that's even possible, you know, with all the layoffs and everything going on uh because uh part of the reason i'm really not going back is because you know we all experienced the online class setup last semester and it just didn't feel like an actual education per se uh you know it was really easy to just uh not do your work and kind of get away with the class credits and that just sort of speaks to uh, what I think the, uh, you know, how do I phrase that sort of speaks to just how everything's going to be during COVID and that we just won't be able to get a uh, good education, I guess. And also bang for your buck, I guess, would be another thing because Western is already a uh, less expensive university as it is. But then if you're using all that money and getting, you know, still a sort of half-baked or halfway education out of that, uh, I still feel like, you know, I'm getting not shortchanged. You know, people aren't doing this deliberately. They're doing the best they can. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's, uh, you know, it's sort of what can you expect, right? 
Well, Scott, thank you for sharing uh, your experience and what your future plans are for the time being. Uh, Dr. Tour, I'm wondering if you could respond because again, as a, a college administrator, I'm, you're sh- I'm sure you're hearing this and, and you understand people's concerns and, and the idea that people may sit out because they don't feel like the online education, uh, they're getting what their money is paying for. I think that that is uh, an important and relevant concern. But let me say that uh, during the spring 2020 semester, we move at Central for from offering 5% of the courses online to offering 100% of the courses online. And we did that in record time. I understand as what happened to us happened to our sisters, sister institutions as well. I can tell you that we have learned a number of lessons as to how we can improve the educational experience for students who are fully online. Among the things that we are doing, we are offering on a daily basis faculty professional development opportunities for every faculty who would like to improve their pedagogical approaches, their use of technology. And I think that that will improve that educational experience online. I think that at the end of the day, we will have uh, offer professional development for every individual that is teaching at, uh, at Central. The other thing is improvement in technology and the platforms that we are using to deliver uh, the classes. That definitely has improved and continue to improve for, for, for Central, and I am sure for our sister institutions as well. So we learn and we are uh, acting on those lessons that we got from the spring mm. 2020 semester. Mm. Dr. Toro, before we run out of time, I have to ask about the international students who may attend Central. There was a new directive issued this week by ICE that prevents uh, presents new challenges for international students, saying that uh, those who are forced to go online won't be able to uh, be in this country legally. Um, I'm just wondering what how Central and other state universities are handling that news and how you accommodate those international students. Let me uh, start by saying we are committed to uh, protect our international students. That means that as we speak, uh, our uh, academic affairs division is analyzing student by student, international student by student uh, situation. And we will work diligently at uh, enrolling those students in high flex courses I should say that some faculty members have offered to uh, stay on ground if if that will help our international students, which is a commitment that I was not expecting, but I am pleasantly surprised that faculty members are committed to protect our international students. And finally, we are working with the system office to see how we can collaborate with uh, our sister institutions to be able to offer courses uh, for, for international students to comply with the, the regulations. And those regulations were the one in place before March. What happened is that during the the last part of the spring semester, those were relaxed 
and now they are back in place. Mm. I wanted to fit in one more call before we head to break. Rebecca's calling from Mansfield. Rebecca, we have about a minute if you could go quickly. I will go as fast as I can. So thank you for having me. I'm a parent of a central student and I'm also an educator myself. I know the adaptations we had to make, but in my perspective in the K-12 setting, we were better prepared and received better professional development to meet the needs of students. My son ended up having to put classes on pass-fail because his instructors were um, unengaging through distance learning and non-communicative with students, not providing feedback. I realized I missed some of the discussion of PD while I was waiting to be put through, but I'd like to know what kind of recourse I guess students have when students aren't, professors aren't communicating and aren't giving feedback and aren't adapting appropriately to the distance learning environment. Thank you. Dr. Toro. I I will say that uh, we will have in place what we call a switchboard, and and that's a group of individuals who will be uh, uh, answering calls and uh, directing those calls to where they need to go for us to be able to take care of this situation. But if that doesn't work, we have in my office a system, and I will... Uh, encourage any parent, any student who feel that they have not been served the way they were expecting to call the direct line of my office. Uh, That line has been uh, working all the time since we have been uh, operating the university remotely. And I can guarantee that as soon as we receive a call with uh, a concern, we have in place a system to take care of those concerns. Uh, could you share that phone number for people who are listening, <laughs> Dr. Toro? <laughs> if not, we okay. can make sure we share it okay. on our social. 860-832-3000. Well, thank you, Dr. Toro, uh, for that number, as well as the time you've given us here on Where We Live. Again, President Zulma Toro, who leads Central Connecticut State University, thank you for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. And we are here to serve the state of Connecticut and our students. Also, Professor Christopher Dusso joined us, who teaches sociology and peace studies, both at Central and University of Hartford. Uh, Christopher, thank you for your time. Yeah, have a good morning. Uh, we know that the state higher ed system also includes 12 community colleges. We're going to get an update on where things stand in terms of those uh, institutions. You can join us, too. Find us on Twitter and, and Facebook at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Uh, we know the state higher education system includes a dozen community colleges. Also, another change coming this fall. Community college students, first-time students, will be able to go for, to college for free in Connecticut. We're wondering how that's going to work in a pandemic when state dollars are already stretched dealing with this public health crisis. Joining us now on Zoom is Dr. G. Duncan Harris. He's chief executive officer of Capital Community College in Hartford. Dr. Harris, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. There's a lot to fit, and we unfortunately don't have a lot of time, but let me start with the fact that campuses are reopening, uh, obviously community colleges, uh, commuter students, but I'm wondering what precautions and uh, guidelines you've put in place to protect your students and your teaching staff. Yeah, I mean, uh, l- let me start by saying that I'm I'm uh, an individual that's been impacted by COVID, and I was sick with the, uh, the virus uh, at the end of March, so I'm uniquely sensitized 
and would never put my faculty, staff, or students in harm's way at this point. We've actually moved, uh, we have 387 courses uh, that we're planning to offer for the fall. 85% of them will be online. So 329 of those will be fully online. We have uh, 13 that will be, um, excuse me, 51 that will be hybrid. So those would be uh, perhaps one day on, on class, one day fully uh, off, off uh, ground, and then uh, seven that are fully online. Those would be linked to specialized equipment like our radiological technology, nursing has certain clinical uh, requirements, et cetera. And so, so the, the, at the heart of it, we really uh, made uh, provisions to move as, as many classes as possible fully online. Uh, and to, uh, you know, reduce, reduce and flatten the curve. Well, we're glad to hear that you're doing better, Dr. Harris. In terms of uh, the classes that will be available uh, to be in person, I'm just wondering again, if you could talk through, uh, we've got some questions about uh, commuter sure. students and maybe traveling in and out of communities. Maybe they have frontline jobs where they're put at higher risk. And so there, there is that concern. Yeah. So once again, you know, if you're if you're taking a sociology class, if you're taking literature, literature et cetera, you, you should mm -hmm. the, those classes will be online. Uh, we, we've done made steps to offer training to the faculty to make sure that that they have uh, the materials and the instructional pedagogy to ensure that the learning outcomes are achieved. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, once again, what we've done here is made sure that the classes that are uh, will be offered on on, on campus are those that really necessitate. Uh, you know, being here due to specialized equipment, et cetera. In other instances, you know, we've uh, removed furniture to ensure that the, uh, the, the uh, six feet social distancing is in place. You know, all individuals uh, will have a mask. We've added uh, mm. PPE and plexiglass around campus. Capitol's fortunate that we have one entrance. And so we're not an open campus like many of our uh, sister institutions. And so, uh, you know, all individuals coming into the building will, will be required to uh, wear masks. If they don't, we'll provide them, you know, and so we've been able to acquire PPE. Uh, you know, we have, uh, we're in the, the old G Fox building for your mm -hmm. listeners and we have uh, uh, five great elevators, but certainly elevators are a place that we want to make sure that, that there's social distancing in place. And so there'll be no more than two or three individuals allowed to ride in the elevators at, at a time. So, so, you know, soup to nuts, we've really made sure that there are protocols in place uh, to ensure you know, that, that folks are, are, um, are safe and that we're mitigating risk. Dr. Harris, we heard that the state universities are expecting a 7 to 10 percent decline in enrollment. Is it a different picture for community colleges, especially, again, I mentioned that this year they're starting the, the free community college for first-time students? Yeah, I mean, I, I think what's occurring nationally is that, uh, you know, consumers are, are looking at their options, uh, many due to safety concerns associated with, with dorms and, and residential situations are really looking at their community colleges in a very different way. And so, uh, you know, we're anticipating uh, an opportunity for an increase in, the fall, uh, in fall enrollment. Uh, and as you mentioned, we launched our promise uh, to advance Connecticut, our PAC program, which ends Wednesday. So uh, any of your listeners who are out there, we do have enough time that if, if folks are interested in the program and attending one of our community colleges this fall, that 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 free guarantee for tuition is in place. Uh, individuals have to have graduated from a Connecticut high school, uh, be a first time college student. So this isn't for returning students or students that have attended elsewhere. Uh, they have to complete the uh, FAFSA, the free application mm -hmm. for federal student aid, and then attend full time. And so they have to be taking at least 12 credits. And provided that those conditions are in place, uh, we would be allowed to uh, ensure that they're they're accessing the uh, the PAC program 
And mm. so, uh, so good for our state. You know, I'm, I'm a, a nutmeg guy. I, I was born and raised here. And I think that this is a, an amazing opportunity for, for Connecticut families. Uh, how will that be paid for in a state that where dollars are stretched dealing with this public health crisis, Dr. Harris? Yeah, well, the the, uh, the system uh, and the Board of Regents made a decision to go into reserves to um, to offer this program. Uh, originally, it was proposed uh, by uh, by the uh, state legislature that it would be paid for by the uh, online lottery. Uh, and we're aware when, when COVID hit and some of the other things that that, that was uh, put on hold. And so, but we had made a promise, uh, and there's actually a bill that that um, you know provides for this this free community college and uh, for our citizens. And so, uh, the board elected uh, to um, you know invest. I don't I don't see it as an as an expense, but rather an investment in uh, in the state and in our families and folks that are really need to be in school right now. Uh, many people are out of work. You know, they may have uh, been displaced. They may have been in industries that have been disproportionately impacted by COVID. And now is a great time to be in school and it could be free uh, for for our citizens and our families. And so very excited about it. I'm glad that that our board uh, and the regents, uh, you know, decided to to um, to find the resources. Sometimes when things are important, you find the money. And so I see that as an investment. Mm. You mentioned the deadline for that program is this Wednesday. Where can yeah. listeners go if they want to try to to see if they can get into the PAC program? Yeah, very easy website, CSP dot edu front slash pact and that'll take you to a website you can identify which of the 12 colleges uh make make sense for you to attend and you can go on and get your your application started uh, right online but we'll we'll do all we can to get folks in by by wednesday and so once again we, we made that commitment you know my enrollment team is is, uh, is here and, and able and uh you know like i said this is so important for our our state and our families, uh, you know, during this this uh, mm. COVID and, and based on the economy and, and the need to have opportunities for careers mm. and, and uh, you know, that provide sustainable family supporting wages. And so well, thank you. So we'll thank see you. what happens. Thank you, Dr. G. Duncan Harris, Chief Executive Officer of Capital, Capital Community College in Hartford. We didn't have time to talk about the consolidation plans of the state community colleges. We hope to have you back as well as Marco Jakin. Thank you for your time. Today's show produced by Tess Terrible. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening.